Let's worship him together. We bless your name, Lord. We bless your name. Father, it is no effort for us to exalt your son. We love him. It is not any effort to praise your name when we consider all that you have done for us in forgiving us and cleansing us, bringing us into your family. And we ask now, Lord, that as we look to your word, the same sense of your presence might rest upon your word as it has upon our worship. We give you praise, Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, we've had some lovely worship this morning. Really great. It's a joy to have you with us. And if you're uh, first time online, we're pleased that you've joined us. And if you're returning to the church after, obviously, the lockdown, we're glad to see you. Slowly filling up, we're getting there. And um, it is so good to see you. I did have a, a message earlier from Pastor Colin, which I would like to just share with you. And um, it's by way of a, an extra announcement. So we, um, where we are, let me get to the beginning of it. Um, Pastor Colin's not with us this morning. And may I just say, if you've come hoping he was preaching, he's, uh, he's on a missions trip. I'll say no more. He's on a missions trip abroad. And I think it would be nice if in your prayers you remembered Pastor Colin and Amanda in your prayers at this time on this missions trip. But we have a vacancy Kensington Temple is, is a great team of people. We have t- different teams doing many things. I don't think how many people are involved, whether it be in the music or in uh, the welcome teams and the finance, a whole team. And uh, we have a vacancy for uh, someone, and I'm just going to announce it to you now. Could you please make the following announcement? Um, it, says, uh, it says, you're looking for a job. Well, I'm not, but um, it, I might be interested when I've heard what it is. KT is looking for caretakers to provide effective facilities and maintenance cover across Kensington Temple and Summit House sites. We not only have the church here, but we have Summit House, which is, uh, I call it Hangar Lane, or it's still called Hangar Lane. I remember crashing in there once when I was young. And um, so we're looking for some caretakers to help us. May I just say that we don't differentiate here. Every role is important. I'm always amazed. I come into church, I drive down, I park my car, and I walk in, and the place is immaculate. I know the music will be, it's just great. And you can be part of that team. And uh, if you'd like to, and there's a set, you can, um, well, I've lost it here. You can send your CV to, and it's very simple, personnel at kt.org. And we'd love to have your CV. I'll just say what happened there. I just put, hope you have a successful trip. Working on my CV for the caretaker's job, that's me. Could you please put a word in for me? Pastor Colin replied, preach well, uh, preach well this AM and you're in with a chance. (laughs) I put, oh dear, back to the drawing board. So there we are. So please remember Pastor Colin and Amanda in your prayers. And some weeks ago, um, I had the privilege of speaking and we looked together at the baptism of Jesus. And then we, another occasion, we looked together at the temptation of Jesus. And I was moving on towards the calling of the disciples. Those three events seemed to link. But I came across the time when Jesus went back to Nazareth and he stood up and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I just couldn't leapfrog that. Um, The preachers here will know why. It's just such full of truth. And um, I'd like to just share with you from that. So if you have your Bible, I'm in Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to read part of the reading now. And I'll read the other part later on in the message. 
So verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. So we're going to look together at that and also just including verses from that chapter. At the end of this story, Jesus is rejected by his hometown. In fact, they try to kill him. It seems so strange that after having such approval from them, that they do decide to do that. And as we look at this, I'll explain why that came about. But I would just like to say before I start, they, there is, there's bound to be, while they're online or in this service, those who have suffered rejection. And I suppose it's one of the most painful things that we can experience. And I suppose the nearer someone is to us, and the more we love them and we thought they loved us, to receive rejection from them can be so difficult. And I would just like to say before I move on, that if you have suffered rejection, Jesus understands. Now, there are times when no one understands. No one knows what I'm feeling. Well, may I tell you now, Jesus understands what it is to be rejected. He was rejected by his family. It tells us in John 7, verse 5, even his own brothers did not believe in him. His own family rejected him. We know that his hometown rejected him. We're going to read that in Luke 4. Some of his friends, Simon and Judas, rejected him. And then at the end of his earthly life, the nation of Israel rejected him. They said, take him away, take him away, crucify him. They rejected Jesus for Barabbas. So whether it was in a domestic situation, whether in a friendship group, whether the nation itself, Jesus suffered rejection. And at the end of this portion we're going to look at, he was going to be rejected. I tell you that in advance so that it can help us understand all the dynamics that were taking place in this story. And hopefully it will help you and I understand that when rejection comes to us, hopefully we'll be able to handle it better and cope with it. Okay, so we've read the scripture. So we'll look at this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. This is a reference, of course, to the fact that when he went to the Jordan, he was baptized by John in water, but the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, and it said, whom the Spirit 
remains on. And the Spirit of God remained on Jesus right through to this time. And it says he returned in the power of the Spirit. So it was the same Jesus who left Nazareth, and it was the same Jesus who returned, but for one difference, he now returned in the power of the Spirit. He was the Son of God before his baptism. He's the Son of God now. But of course, he received that tremendous, I use the word anointing because it's used in the text, from the Holy Spirit as he began his earthly ministry. So the Jesus that left was not the Jesus who's returned. Do you know, friends, that gives me great hope. We don't have to stay we are. You think, you know, I'm, getting, I'm like 500 years old. I'm amazed how staid I am in my ways, how predictable I have become in what I do and when I do it and the rest of it. But with God, friends, we can be open and fresh and we can go home differently than we came in. He returned in the power of the Spirit. Wouldn't it be great this morning if you all returned home or wherever you're watching in the power of the Spirit? I tell you what, this would be a great meeting. Very fruitful meeting. And that's it. And Jesus, it says there, he returned in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So this wasn't his first visit to a synagogue. It was his first visit to his hometown, his home church. If you think of a synagogue as the local church, it will help you help you understand. There were no synagogues in the Old Testament. They grew up during the period between the Old and New Testaments during the exile, and Jews were able to gather together because there was no temple for great periods of time. So Jesus was visiting synagogues, and he was teaching, and John, in his gospel, fills in some of the gaps of what happened during that period. And it says he taught them in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. That must be lovely. I never got to the place where everybody praises me, um, but I'm sure maybe some of you have. But that is what happened. He was finding acceptance. Why not? Because of his teaching and his preaching and the miracles that would take place, Jesus was accepted and he was praised by everyone. Now we change direction. Change direction. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Of course, the hardest place to be a Christian is at home. Now, don't you know, ask people around here whether I'm a good Christian or not. You really need to ask my wife and my daughters whether I'm a good Christian or not. And I'd rather you didn't, please. Not till I finish preaching anyway. You know, it's one of those things. That's, they know the real me. You know, you're dazzled by me. I can, no, you're not, are you? No. But I mean, um, the real me. And he went back home. This is where he went to school. This is where he, where he took over his father's business, Joseph's. This is where he went into contract. He would have to do some work. I'm as a carpenter, different things. This was where the rubber hit the road, really. This is reality. So we went back there. This wasn't me preaching in a visiting town. This is me going back to my home church. I mentioned the first service. I used to go back to my home church after I'd become a pastor. And uh, I left to go to Bible college at 17. And I returned um, a couple of years later. And they used to say to me, when do you become a pastor? And I just said, soon. I was already one. I don't know if I'd been ordained by them, but they just couldn't relate that the Gordon Neal, who, Northolt and all the rest of it, and um, asked to leave school at 15 and all that, was now a pastor. They just couldn't. They were kind. Like, when do you become a pastor? And I already was one. And I just used to say, soon. When you go home where everybody knows you, 
That's important. I can remember a lady used to tap me on the shoulder once when I was uh, visiting my home church, and I heard this voice, and it said, boy, did we pray for you. And I thought it was God speaking, but then I realized it wasn't. And it was one of the ladies of the church. And she said, boy, did we used to pray for you. And whatever blessing that God may have placed upon my life, and others will judge that, I tell you what, those prayers made a difference. Went back home. So Jesus did that. He went back home where he'd been to school, where he'd been in business. Uh, His family were there. Brothers and sisters were told. And Mary, his widowed mother, and the whole situation there. So he went to Nazareth, he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue. As I say, he visited other synagogues, as was his custom. I, I, I love this little verse for this reason. Jesus went to church when he knew everything about everybody. Now, if you knew everything about me, I don't know if you'd have come to listen to me this morning. You might have said, oh, that Gordon Neal, he's not as spiritual as he looks, is he? Well, may I just say, I'm looking at you and I'm not that impressed either. You know, so I'll tell you what I'll do. You forgive me and I'll forgive you. That's the deal, okay? But, you see, as was his custom. See, some people, and no one here would be like this, oh, I'm leaving this church because Gordon Neal didn't wear a tie. I've got hundreds of ties. It's just that my shirts have shrunk. Okay? Oh, Gordon Neal preaches too long. Gordon Neal preaches too short. Gordon Neal is gone. Friends, we don't leave church. We don't. We, if God has planted you in this church, this is where you're to bear fruit. You know, and he went there. And it was his custom. He went every Sabbath to the synagogue and he knew everything about them. If anybody had an excuse to leave a church, it would have been him. So if you're thinking about leaving, don't. Because you think you found the perfect church, but the minute you arrive there, it won't be perfect anymore. So you might as well stay with us and let's work through the issues and do something positive for God. So as his custom was, he went into the synagogue in that way. And he stood up to read, okay? Um, Now, visiting rabbis, although he wasn't a visitor, were often invited to read the scriptures. Anyway, it says there, he stood up to read. In the synagogue, you would stand up to read and sit to preach. Um, Now, we just stand to do it all. I mean, if I was sitting down, I could go for days, which is not a good thing. You wouldn't want that at all. So he stood up to read. And then it says there, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. Now, in the synagogue, they would read through all the books of Moses in one year, okay? And they would have selected readings from the prophets, okay? So either before or after this, probably before this, the law was read, the law of Moses, the books of Moses, the first five books, would be read through in a year. But selections from the prophets would be read. Now, I don't know whether this was the reading for the day, it said they handed him the scroll, and when I say scroll, it was on twists like this, okay? So it wasn't like, I'll turn the page. It was you'd wind it along and you'd read like this and then keep going, okay? So I'm not sure whether it was the reading of the day and Jesus in divine timing arrived on the day when this portion was being read or whether he selected it. Now, it's not of really any importance, and even now I'm thinking, why did I bother to tell you? But the thing was... 
This was the portion of scripture. Either it was a divine appointment to read this, or Jesus chose it. Either way, it's powerful for what is about to be said. So the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And now we have an explosion of truth. Wow. The spirit of the Lord is on me. I'm going to stop there. When Isaiah wrote those words and no doubt said those words, and over the hundreds of years from Isaiah writing it to this day, lots of people had read these words. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Every single person who read those words was reading of someone else. Messiah. And they would read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And they thought, oh, Messiah. For the first time in history, these words were being read by the one they spoke of. Wow. No wonder at the end of the story, all eyes were fashioned. They'd heard the scripture read many times, but they'd never heard it read by the person who dictated it to Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Not me. Well, you understand what I'm saying. It was being said. Hundreds of preachers and readers had read the words, and everybody said yes. Oh, of course he's not speaking of himself, he's speaking of Messiah. But Messiah was now reading it. The Son of God was now reading it. It was going to be fulfilled very much in their ears. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And there we have a, almost a manifesto of what Messiah would do, because he has anointed me. Again, reference to the River Jordan. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That's the gospel. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to release the oppressed. And time won't allow me to prove those things, but you think of the ministry of Christ and his miracles. Each one of those was fulfilled by the Lord Jesus in his ministry. Then he came to the words to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, they, that was very important. You see, the day of the Lord's favour, um, sorry, forgive me, I'm, I should leave these on, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. In Israel, they had something called the year of Jubilee. Okay, sure most of you know, but there are going to be some who don't know, so I must be courteous to them. The year of Jubilee, God brought into Israel's calendar that every 50th year, any Jewish slaves would be set free. Not sure about the Gentile ones, but within Israel. So if you were sold into slavery because of debts, you said, well, I'll have to be your slave, I can't pay the debts. At 50 years, you were set free. At 50 years, whatever you, hey, listen to this one, whatever you owed the bank was forgiven and written off, hey? I tell you, the day before, you'd go out and spend a few bob, wouldn't you? No, it didn't quite work like that. And then also, if you sold any land, so when Israel entered the land, the land was divided up. So if you'd sold some of your land, on the 50th year, it would return to the ancestral family. So it was a great, it's called um, a time of restoration. Slaves were set free, debts were cancelled, land returned to its owner. So let me illustrate just to help you understand what happened. So I have a piece of land, and it's 10 years to the Jubilee. 
So you say, I'd like to buy that piece of land. Now, you will offer me a price based on the fact that you've only got it for 10 years. Because at 50 years, it comes back to me. So the price is fixed that way. So if, it, if the year of Jubilee was last year and you bought this piece of land, I would know that it would not come back to me. It's almost like a lease. It would not come back to me for 49 years, so I would want some more money for it. But the point is not the mechanics of it. The point is this. Every 50 years, freedom from debt, freedom from slavery, and all things are restored. And that's exactly what Messiah has done for us. He's cancelled my debts to God. He has set me free. I'm no longer a slave to Satan, to sin. I now serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that I lost in Adam has been restored to me as a child of God. So when he talks there about proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, they would go, yes, the year of the Lord's favour, Jubilee. Now, please, for you and I, Jubilee is not a date. So you might be thinking, oh, when? I'm sure that if you had some Jewish friends, I'm sure they've worked out when the next year of Jubilee comes round, you know, and in that way, that's fine. And if you ever find out, I'd be glad to know. Um, but Jubilee, but see, for us, Jubilee is not a date. It's not a date. I'm not saying, oh, in four years and five years, your sins can be forgiven. No, no. Jubilee for us is a person. It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't direct you to your diaries or your calendars. I direct you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole thing of the year of Jubilee was just to help us understand what Jesus did. He restored us, he set us free, and he made us his children in that way. And so he said those words. Um, forgive me, I'm preparing that. He gave a, sorry, the, the, proclaimed the year of the Lord's favour. Now, he didn't finish the verse. If you look into Isaiah... It does say there, and I'll just quote it to you, the words continue, and the day of God's vengeance. Now, the eyes of the people were probably fastened on him because he didn't finish the verse. I hope this isn't too detailed, but I think it's important. So I'm going to quote a scripture, and I'm going to stop. And I want you to finish it, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... Lovely, you can now tell everybody you've preached at Kensington Temple. There you are. You see, I finished the verse. And you're all thinking, why didn't he finish the verse? He stopped. That was exactly what happened in this synagogue. He stopped. They were all waiting for the finish. But he couldn't finish the verse because everyone else who had read this could have said it, and the year of God's vengeance. They could have said it because they weren't Messiah. They weren't the Son of God. Had Jesus said, and the day of God's vengeance, then I'll tell you, the angels would have taken off and the judgment would have begun. He stopped. Because this is not the period of God's vengeance. It's the period of God's grace and God's mercy and forgiveness. Oh, but please... One day, Jesus will finish the verse. And the day of vengeance and the judgment will begin. You say, Gordon, you don't actually believe in judgment. I have to believe in judgment because I believe in forgiveness. 
I have to believe in judgment because I look on the cross and I see what he did that I might escape the judgment. Now, we may argue about what that judgment might be, but let me tell you now, there's a day coming when he will complete the verse and he will return in that way. Okay, we're nearly, you've listened ever so well. And ever so then, and everyone's eyes, sorry, everyone in the synagogues were fastened on him. Wow. Well, I think they were looking at him because I say this in a, in a, hope, in a, in a special way. He was very charismatic. Here we have the man that dictated the words to Isaiah, reading his own words. Wow. And he spoke, you know, as one who had authority. But more than that, this is the man who was sinless. The first preacher ever in this pulpit, in this synagogue, who was sinless. I don't know if Jesus had read before this. I don't know. But this time, he had the Spirit of the Lord upon him. He had been obedient to baptism. He had defeated the devil in temptation. And now, he was there. Wow. And they, all their eyes were upon him. And this said to them, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The the blind will see. All these things are going to happen. And they did in Jesus' ministry. Verse 22, it says, all spoke well of him. Well, we're back to the, what they said at the beginning. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Oh, oh, that every word that had come from my lips had been gracious. Why don't we decide now to speak graciously to one another? You know, we'll be having some food. There's food available downstairs. Now, I think you should be gracious to let me go to the front of the queue. No, no, you usually do that for me anyway. But to speak graciously. Oh, someone sat in my seat. I've got some news for you. It ain't your seat. It's this church's seat. Now, we don't mind you sitting in the same seat every week. But we need you to speak graciously to one another. Would you mind if I sat there? You know, because of my hearing, I like to be, or whatever, I don't know. But speak graciously to one another. If you don't like the message this morning, speak graciously to me. Just say, that was okay, and walk out. But if you don't think it's okay, just walk out. (laughs) But be gracious. Let's be a gracious church, shall we? Let's, graciousness from his lips. He spoke no harshness. Oh, he would criticize, but he was allowed to. You see, when we criticize people, it's, it's so wrong because we're making out we're God. Only God judges, not you. Oh, there's a lot of things wrong in this church. I know we know about them, and we'll get around to talking to you. You know? So he said there, the scripture is fulfilled, and from his lips, gracious words. Then things start to go downhill. They start to go downhill. Let me just have some water. I'm almost finished. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Someone had to bring us down to earth. They're all all going, wow, is this Messiah? 
You see, see, it's, you know, and the, the, the remain, all eyes were fixed on him. What now? He didn't finish the verse. What, what's going on? You know, everybody else finishes the verse. Why didn't he finish? And somebody pipes up. Isn't that Joseph's son? And reminded us. It was not untrue what the person said. He was Joseph's son. But only adopted by Joseph. Because his father is in heaven. His father came to the Jordan and said, This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. This is the father's words at the transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. But they immediately anchored it down into the earth instead of anchoring it into heaven. And someone piped up, isn't this Joseph's son? Then Jesus speaks to this situation. Surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician heal yourself. Do hear in, our, in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. Jesus anticipates what this phrase is that this Joseph's son would spark. It broke, it broke the atmosphere, that comment. And he said, I know what you're doing. You're saying, heal yourself. You're saying, who are you to tell us that we need to be saved? You need to be saved. Well, he didn't. Do some of the miracles you did in Capernaum. You know, I think about the turning the water into wine. Is that what they're thinking of? And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He was ready for the rejection. He was ready for it, but he didn't avoid it. He still went and declared to his hometown who he was. I assure you, there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine in the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow and Zarephath in the region of Sidon. So what he's saying is this. You know the Old Testament. God saved a Gentile widow with the story of uh, with Elijah and the oil. You know the story well. Then he says, and there are many in Israel with leprosy. Many in Israel had leprosy um, uh, in the time of Elisha, not Elijah, the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So really what Jesus is saying here is this. I'm letting you know now, I'm declaring to you now, God has a heart for anyone who will put their faith in him. Jew or Gentile. Jews don't have a privileged place. They do in God's economy, but when it comes to getting saved, they get saved the way the rest of us do. Now, somebody may not be happy with that. Well, please don't bother talking to me about it. As if I'll never get home. You know, And then he uses this, that there were two Gentiles in the Old Testament, the widow and the Syrian. And God came to them, fed one of them, healed one of them. Well, they didn't like that because they were chosen. They were special. They were covenant. They were children of Abraham. All those things are true. But the very things that were supposed to guide them and funnel them into an acceptance of Jesus became the very stumbling block. 
And the minute they heard about the Gentiles, I don't know why they fell out with Jesus. It was in the scriptures. He wasn't coming up with new stories. This was two Old Testament stories. And listen to what happens then. Very good. And there were many in Israel. And then verse 28, the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Hang on a minute. He gave gracious words. They were fastened upon him. And suddenly they turned. I was thinking this was the rejection coming. They were all pleased. They were all happy. Everybody was happy till he said something they didn't like. I hope you're not like that. Oh, I hope you, we always have to tiptoe around you. Oh, don't say that to him. Oh, please, I've got a word from God for you. Grow up, will you? We ain't got time to pander to you. We've got a city to win for Jesus. Got a city to win for Jesus. Anyway, all the people in were furious when they heard that. Why, could they, why should they be furious? Well, because he was challenging their elitist spirit that they were the only people God was interested in. And listen to this, they got up and drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. Wow. Gracious words. Next thing, it they're going to do execute judgment upon him. No trial. No, no. The synagogue decided we don't like what he's saying, even though it was biblical, because it challenged their religion. Sadly, our newspapers and our TVs are full of places around the world today where there's only one thing you can think and only one thing you can say. And sometimes that's not always in the religious context, on the political. And they were furious. And here is Jesus, having gone to his hometown, knowing what was going to happen. But he came to them because they needed to hear. If we only preach to those that want to listen, how do we know who wants to listen till we've preached? You know, you're working with people. Oh, none of them will ever become Christians. Please, who are you and who am I to decide who will become Christians? Our job is to intelligently and politely share the gospel. Now, let's see what God the Holy Spirit does after that. We can't decide. We preach, we teach, we encourage, and God decides. I think the scripture says God gives the increase. So they were about to throw him down the cliff, but it says he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Well, they weren't going to throw him down the cliff. Jesus was not going to die. at the Well, he was going to die, I always said, at the hands of an angry mob. That's probably true. But it wasn't the cliff or the, the ravine where he would die. He had an appointment, and that appointment was on a cross. When you think of the horror of crucifixion, the thought of the cliff may actually, I'm not being flippant, may have seemed more attractive than what was going to happen, the scourging and the thorns and the crucifixion. But he walked through them because he had an appointment. Not the next day, but in about three years' time, he had an appointment. And the crowd would reject him again. 
And they would be furious as the synagogue was furious. And they would say, away with him, away with him, crucify him. What about Barabbas? Barabbas or Jesus? Barabbas. Imagine being the son of God, having healed and taught and preached and delivered thousands during your ministry, only to have Jerusalem and the nation reject him. But he went to the cross and he died there for us. He didn't turn his back on Nazareth. He didn't turn his back on Israel. He did not turn his back on us. And in those moments when you may feel rejected and deeply hurt, remember, he died for you. And that can help us with our rejection. We say, well, if Jesus was rejected by family, his hometown, by his friends and by the nation, and he still walked through to God, then you and I can gather strength in our rejection to walk true to God through it all. Let's pray. You've listened ever so well. Thank you. Father, I just thank you for this portion of scripture that says so much. I'm quite sure I've left so much out. But I pray that what we have looked at will be helpful. Helpful in our worship of you. Understanding who you are and that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Understanding now that you are our jubilee and freedom is ours in Christ. Understanding that rejection is not the end. For having been rejected and having been crucified, you rose again and are seated at the right hand of the Father. May we have an eternal perspective to our lives, knowing that this life is not just what it's about. We have hope in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening.